0: to the book of James chapter four. Uh, page 1215, one, two, 1 five in the Pew Bibles. James chapter four, uh, reading from verse 13. Chapter four, verse 13, 1, two, one five. Now listen you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead you ought to say If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sin's. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Amen. <laughs> Meekness, slick it, coorn, timorous, beastie. Oh, what a panic's in thy beastie. <laughs> That's all I can remember. <laughs> in primary seven, we had a teacher that used to go around the, the school, and in primary seven, she came to my class and we had to memorise and recite in front of the class a Rabbi Burns poem, and mine was Te I was more frightened than the mouse when I stood up in front of the classroom. I, I can't uh, remember it all now. I certainly can't recite it uh, by memory. As impressive as that would have been, I'm sure. but verse 3 reads as follows: "But mercy, thou art no alone, in proving foresight may be vain. The best laid schemes, O mice and men, gang aft agley. And Leah's naught but grief and pain for promised joy." How true those words are. The best laid schemes of mice and men gang aft agley. Or if you'd rather, the best laid plans of mice and men often go astray. How true that is. We make our plans on the basis of all the stuff that we know, all the things that we think are going to happen. But so often, our plans go wrong because we don't know everything and we can't really predict how the future is going to go i could plan to meet with someone on tuesday and then something else happens on monday and i i have to change my plans the football season has just begun, and I know as Baptists that we're not really into rituals, so you'll have to forgive me here. I have a ritual uh, every week during the football season, and that is to listen to the results of the football fixtures that have just been played. And when I listen to these results, I think to myself, every week, I am so glad that I'm not a gambler. Because every week without fail, there are at least two or three results that I just would never have predicted. Never. We know less than we think we know. We understand less than we think we understand. And so we, we can never predict what is going to happen. It's no surprise to me that the bookies are the last things to die on our high street. Orr's can go, Fraser's can go, Woolworth's can go, but Paddy Power and Ladbroke's, they'll be around for a while because they profit on this false belief that we have that we can predict what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know. We can't predict what type of Brexit there will be. We can't predict the football scores. We can't even predict what's going to happen in our own life, even tomorrow, even this afternoon, even, you know, in in a couple of minutes' time. We don't know for sure what is going to happen. And so we might make our plans, but the best laid plans of mice and men, gang glee. And so James says, listen, you who say tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, Why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. We're all subject to the sovereign will of God. Our old nature rebels against that because we want to be in control. Ultimately, we want to be God, or our old nature wants to be God over our own lives. But God is in control. God is sovereign. And that is for our good. James addresses the self-made men of his day. They are traveling traders, this is in the days uh, before Amazon, before online shopping, and uh, there would be a, a lot of people who traveled from place to place, town to town, selling their wares, and some of those people were Christians. And yet they'd begun to think in just the same way that non-Christians think. They'd begun to rely on their own wisdom and their own cleverness and their own capabilities. They'd begun to remove God from the equation of their thinking and their planning and their preparations. They probably still went to Christian gatherings. I dare say that they stood and sat at the right times. They sang the right songs and spoke, the right words, you learn, don't you? How to play at church. Even when all is not right in your relationship with God, you can come and take your seat and do all the stuff you need to do to present yourself as being okay. But they were living, as practical atheists. They had removed God from the equation in the everyday realities of their lives. Kent Hughes puts it like this. He says, James' attack is specifically aimed at the materialistically focused Christian merchants in his congregations. Who arrogantly mapped out their destinations and on the basis of profitability, profitability with no reference to the will of God. It had not been easy for them when they first became Christians. In fact, their conversions had cost them socially and economically. But in the initial flush of spiritual forgiveness, they had borne the difficulties with grace, for they hung on to Christ with everything they had. But as life settled down, the cares of making a living began to dominate again. They came to assume that profit and God's will were one and the same. Soon they reverted to being self-made, self-assured men who, though now Christians, lived as if this world was all that there was. There's a phrase in there that really struck me as I read those words, and it's this. As life settled down. As life settled down. Isn't it often when life Settles down that we are so given to drifting in our journey with Jesus. If we are to keep following in the footsteps of our Lord, then we need to be alert and awake. But it's so often in the everyday, mundane normality of life that we switch off, that we fall asleep, and we just get carried along by the wisdom of the world around us. We get swept along by ungodly thinking. In the crisis moments of life, we cling to Christ. We see our needs and we feel our insufficiency to meet that need. We cling on to Christ. And we experience the wonderful reality of his presence working in situations and circumstances which are so hard and so frightening. But then, as life settles down, as normality comes back, sometimes even a new normality, and life seems very normal, very mundane, it is often in these moments, in these times, and predictable, that we have to be most careful to stay awake, to stay alive, to stay alert spiritually, to keep our eyes on Jesus, to keep our feet following as He leads to not drift along the paths and the patterns of this world. These Christians have drifted away and James tries to wake them up. Now listen, he says in verse 13, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money while you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. You don't see what He sees. You don't understand what He understands. You are not God. And that's what it comes down to. You and I are not God. Remember it in your planning, in your thinking, in your living. You are not God. And that is a good thing. I am not God. God. And that is a good thing. Because I don't see what he sees. I don't understand what he understands. I don't love like he loves. Christians uh, used to, sometimes they still do, but not often. You used to often see at the end of things that that Christians had written or notes that they had written to each other. DV, well done. (laughs) DV, uh, God willing. You don't see that so much now, and I think that's sad. I'm sure for some people it just became a a thing they wrote without thinking about, but for others it must have been a helpful reminder that all of their plans were subject to the sovereign will of God, God willing. You know, to, to, to not, to rebel against the sovereignty of God, It's a horrendous sin. To want to be God, even of your own life, is a terrible sin. And like every other sin, it comes from pride. It comes from the pride that says, I know better than God knows. I love myself more than God loves me. I understand what's going on in my life more than He understands what's going on in my life. I know what I need more than He does. We want to be God all too often over our own lives, our own plans, our own future, but we are not. And we ought to be so thankful that we are not. Because God is good. Unlike us, He is all good. And He is always good. Unlike us, He is right in all of His ways, all of the time. He is love. He is wisdom. He is true and faithful. He is all-knowing, all-seeing all understanding. It is better for us that we are not God of our own lives. It ought to be our joy to acknowledge the rule and the reign of the sovereign God over each of our lives. He is good and He is gracious. And we rejoice in that. So what does all of this mean? What does James mean? What, what's the, the response, the right response to what we have read from James today? Should we go home and, and, and rip up our wall planners and burn our diaries, delete our calendars and our smartphones? Should we refuse to plan, to prepare? Should we not take out pensions or cancel our savings accounts, which we've been building up for a rainy day. No, we should plan. But we should remember that all of these plans are subject to the sovereign will of God. And we shouldn't panic when our plans don't work out. That's okay. We shouldn't cling to control of our lives. We should happily, joyfully acknowledge that God is in control, that God is sovereign, that God is working out His plans and His purposes for our lives. Our role is really just to follow the leading of our Lord, step by step and day by day. Verse 15 makes clear that that it's okay to plan. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. It's okay to plan, but we have to remember our place and God's place in our planning. We plan in humility, and we plan in a way which makes sense, given the brevity, not just the uncertainty, but the brevity of our lives. Life is short. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow, says James. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. It's like we've had relatively good weather in recent times, but before we know it, it's going to be cold again. When you're outside in the cold and you breathe and you, you see your breath for a second, I can't tell you the physics behind it, you see your breath for a second, and as soon as you see it, it's gone. That's your life. It's there for a moment, and it's gone for an eternity. Given the brevity of life, we ought to invest every moment, spend every second wisely, We don't know the future, we don't know tomorrow, we don't know even the rest of today, but one thing we do know is that we will all die. Unless we're alive and Christ comes again, we will all die. And it may be soon, no matter how things may look. I was 31 years old uh, the day before Palm Sunday 2011. I lived a fairly healthy life hardly ever gone to the doctor, hardly ever needed to go to the doctor, and then suddenly in the blink of an eye, everything changes. I knew that one day I was going to die, but it had always seemed a way out there somewhere in the distance, and when it seems a way out there somewhere in the distance, often it doesn't seem really real or relevant to the life that we live. In the here and now. But suddenly, in the blink of an eye, out of the blue, it's not out there anymore, it's it's right up here. Uh, And now I have, I'm very thankful to be in this position, but now I have six monthly reminders as I go for a scan or I go for results of a scan of the brevity of life. Because I never know. I never know what the oncologist is going to say. I don't enjoy those meetings. I'd rather not have them. If I went to the Beatson one time and they told me, we've got this new pill, take it and everything will be fine, I would take that pill. But still, those six monthly reminders are helpful. They put things into perspective. They remind me of the brevity of life, the importance of prioritizing life wisely and well, spending every moment of strength and energy and time well. If we have a whole load of money, then you know we we can spend it recklessly. We can go to the supermarket and fill the trolley and fill the boot and fill the house with stuff that we don't really need. But if we've only got a little bit of money, or if we're not sure how much money we've got in the bank, then we'll be much more careful, won't we, at how we spend that money? We? we don't know. We don't know how much time we have. We don't know how much strength we will have in the days which lie ahead. And so we need to spend our time and our energy. Well, we need to spend it wisely. Every beat of your heart, every breath of your lungs is gift. Every beat of your heart, every breath of your lungs could be the last beat, the last breath. So invest your time and your strength and your life well. Invest it wisely in a way that makes sense, given your identity as a believer in Jesus, as a child of God, and as a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. James says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded, And those pictures which James paints for us ought to turn us to the words of the Lord Jesus who said said in Matthew chapter 6 and who says to us today, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So there is good news. We are able to invest our lives, to spend ourselves on something that is of eternal significance. Our lives in this uh, world are short, but we can invest them in something which will last For more than a lifetime, it will last for all time. Something of eternal significance. And because of that, our lives, as short as they are, are hugely significant, hugely important. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm glad I came to church this morning. Ross told me that I've no idea what's going to happen in the future. All of my plans may come crashing down, and then one day I'm going to die. That's that. We'll send closing hymn and we'll go home. But actually, this is, this is good news, and I hope that we see that. The psalmist says, In their hearts, people plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. That is good news because the Lord, who establishes our steps, loves us with a perfect love. And if we are Christians, we can be assured that the plans that He has for us are good. He is working for our good and for His glory, even when we can't see it, even when it's not the way that we would have planned it, even when it's a bit scary to see that we are not in control, even of our own lives. He is working for our good and for his glory. Better that he is in control than us. He loves us with a perfect love. He knows and sees and understands all things perfectly. We have such a narrow and limited perspective, but he sees everything as it really is. He's involved in each of our lives and everything that He does is right and true, faithful and good. We may not see it in the here and now and I know how hard life can be, how frightening it can be to see that you're not in control even of your own life, but it's good. It's good that He is in control. It's good that He is working out His plans and His purposes for each one of us, even when we can't see it, even when we don't understand it, even when we cannot possibly begin to understand why something is happening to us or where He is taking us or what He is doing, we affirm that He is working and He is working for our goods. We affirm His love, His goodness, and His grace. And so we say happily, Father, I place into your hands the way that I should go, for I know I always can trust you. And as for the brevity of life, it's good to know that as the people of Jesus, we have nothing to fear in life and in death. He has conquered, He has triumphed over the grave. He has risen victorious, and He shares that victory with all who trust in Him. And so if you have given your lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have trusted Him, if you know Him as Lord and Savior, then His victory is your victory. Death has no hold over you. It has lost its sting. And you have nothing to fear. To live is Christ and to die is gain. The lives that we live can be spent on things of eternal significance. We can store up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal by living in a way that befits our identity as followers of Jesus, as children of God and as dwelling places of the Holy Spirit. We can invest our lives and something of such significance. We can know the sense of purpose that comes from giving ourselves to this, spending ourselves in Christ's service, to live as Christ. We can know his nearness by his Spirit. We can become more and more like him in this life that we are living, in the here and now. We can grow in grace and holiness. And love. To live is Christ, but also to die is gay. Death has become for us in Christ the doorway to life, life in all of its fullness, life in the, 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 the fullness of the presence of God. For the people of Jesus, the best is yet to be. When life is over, not loss, but gain. Not defeat, but victory. Not the end, but only the beginning. So be alert, live well, fear nothing. Because Jesus is alive forever. And while Jesus is alive, we are a victorious people. We are a triumphant people. We live in the love of God. Even when we don't feel it, even when we don't see it. We are a victorious people. Living in the love of God. Knowing that the best is yet to be. As long as He lives. He will be with us and He will be for us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Some translations say, in all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. Amen. We stand to sing a hymn of triumph as we look to the Lord Jesus Christ, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow.